Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. I wanted to discuss Shabbat Shuva um, because I think that sometimes, we were talking about this a bit before some of you arrived, that the, the idea around Shabbat Shuva is either very important to people or a week off in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There's not really an in-between. Um, people, as if you were here this morning, it was a much lighter crowd than we normally have in all locations. Um, and it's because there's a lot of shul happening right now, but Shabbat Shuva is, was, could be a very important Shabbat because it's the Shabbat, the first Shabbat of the new year. Of course, Rosh Hashanah this year was Shabbat, so it's it's maybe the second, I guess you could call it. Um, but it's also the Shabbat before Yom Kippur, so it's kind of this auspicious time. So I want to talk about Shabbat Shuvah a bit, but through the lens of the Torah reading that we actually did this morning, um, not the Torah reading that we just did in um during Mincha that Marshall read. So my question to you is, what is the first thing we do when Yom Kippur is over? And I'm asking this vaguely because it's different based on what shul you go to. So what is the first thing we do after Yom Kippur is over? Mariv. Wow, I did not expect anyone <laughs> to say that. I expect people to say, sukkah, eat was the other, was the other option I was expecting. Mariv. And when we, when we do Mariv, orange juice is the best on answer. Um, when we do Mariv, what is one element of Mariv that you might feel is redundant based on the whole day that we've just had? Okay. What, which one specific part? And Norm, you often lead Mariv, so maybe you can think of what. I've already looked at your materials. So. Oh, oh, okay. Don't give it away. Okay. Repetition. Right. Okay. We don't. We actually don't do a repetition. It's only silent. But you're right that it's in the Amidah. So we say Slachlanu, right? We say in the Mariv Amidah, we do an, an aspect of atonement. And wouldn't we all think that if we're doing atonement for 26 hours that, you know, we can skip this one moment of atonement in Mariv right after Yom Kippur. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, yeah, of course. So part of what we're going to look at is the fact that there's a lot of repetition in general, right? In Judaism, we actually ask for forgiveness. We go through a mini, a mini vidui, a mini atonement every day, right? Twice a day, actually, when we do uh, shachri Amida, and when we do the Mariv Amida, we have opportunities to be able to ask for forgiveness and also, and also Mincha, but, but potentially, um, not if you're not hearing a Chazara, would you, would you recognize that you're doing it? These are the moments that we would say it out loud, right? So, sorry, I said that backwards. Mariv, you might not, re- you might not recognize that you're doing it because it's only silent. Mincha is where there's a repetition. Sorry, I said that, I said that jumbled. So, we have multiple times throughout our day to say that we are sorry. And at the end of Yom Kippur, it feels a bit redundant because we will have been doing it, um, you know, for a lot of the 26 hours. I took this teaching from, um, from Rabbi Joel Seltzer, who wrote 
who wrote a drush. This was not a teaching he did. He wrote a drush, and I, I used the sources to bring it to you as a teaching. But what he says here is, is it possible, and he's kind of saying this a bit tongue-in-cheek, but is it possible that I committed a sin in the last 30 seconds since the, since the gate closed, and now I'm having to say I'm sorry? Now, the truth is, maybe, right? Depending on who you're sitting next to, or what you're thinking, or the behaviors that you're seeing around you, we're all human. And yeah, it is possible that in the last 30 seconds, in between the last minutes of Ni'ila to the moment that you say the Mari Vamida, it is possible that you said something that was not so kind, or something that was a bit too snarky, or that you complained about something that that used someone's... um name in a way that was not respectful, right? So of course the answer is yes, it is possible. Is it likely? Probably not. It's probably not super likely in those few moments, especially because most of them are davening, that you will do something that requires you to say sorry. He goes on to say, shouldn't this be my most blameless moment of the entire year? And yet here I am beating my chest and beseeching God for forgiveness yet again. Right, we go back into the kind of mundane slachlanu that we do every day, multiple times a day, as opposed to the one that we also do on Yom Kippur. So then he takes us into Parshat Ha'azinu. Here in Parshat Ha'azinu, we look at uh, chapter 32, verse 10, and it says, Yimsa'ehu be'eretz midbar. So God found them in the land from the wilderness. Now, what we know about land and wilderness is that land is a place that's designated, right? A place that has, let's call it structure to it, whereas Midbar does not. Midbar is a bit more um, unknown, right? Kind of uncategorized. It could be a space that's just kind of in between land and sea or desert and forest, right? It's, it's not designated in the same kind of way. So God finds them in these in-between spaces, Uvetohu, you know that word from, from Breshit. Yalel Yeshimon, Yesovavenhu Yevonenhu. In an empty howling waste, that's how uh, Ha'azinu is defining it, but in the same kind of vastness that we found in Breshit before the creation of the world, God engirded them, watched over them, guarded them as the pupil of God's eye. So what is God doing here? Yeah, protecting them, finding them, noticing them, right? God notices us. I just read something, I guess it was yesterday, that Ne'ila is the moment, this was put out by Hadar, I'm sorry that I don't remember which rabbi, but put out by Hadar, and uh, it was just one sentence, and what the rabbi said was that Ne'ila is the time that we start to feel God drifting away, right? That And it, that's not supposed to be like a... A bad thing, right? That's not, that's not bad on God, right? That's just that on Yom Kippur, we're so connected to the fact that God sees us, God watches over us, God is close to us, that when the gates close on Ne'ilah, that's the moment that we start to kind of become realistic to what our relationship is with God during the rest of the year, which isn't necessarily as close. We have to do things to make us feel like we're bringing God closer. So what Simo was pointing out was that this is a moment that God is noticing the people. God is watching over the people. God's very close, very recognizing exactly what's going on with them. Then a few verses later, verse 18, God knows 
that the time is going to come where we're going to be led astray. You neglected Sur, the, the rock, which is, um, which is another name for God, who begot you, forgot the God who labored to bring you forth. Now, what we know happens next is that the people are led to a land. So this isn't God saying, oh, you've, you've lost connection with me and therefore you don't get any of this, right? But God is being realistic. God recognizes that just like in Neila, where you've spent a whole day saying you're sorry, that you are human and you are going to at some point between the time you leave the field and you get to your car or you get to your home, you're going to do something that the next day you should atone for. Right. Very often I grew up at, uh, at Sinai Temple and my mom was uh, the membership director for many years. And when she was the membership director, she said, you know, that people have not taken Yom. And this is not specific to Sinai. I was just using that as an example of where I grew up. You know that this happens at Betham very much so. You know that people have not taken Yom Kippur seriously. If as soon as they see, in our case, the orange juice on their way out, they're complaining that there wasn't enough or they didn't get the one they wanted or they got spilled on or whatever. <laughs> right. There's there's this idea that our behavior is watched so closely between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But as I've seen written quite a few times now, what if we watched our behavior even more closely between Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah? Right. Wouldn't that make for a better world? Wouldn't that make this Slachlanu make much more sense? Shouldn't we have this urge to say, I'm sorry, immediately after Na'ila is over because we know that we are going to make a mistake or that we've already made a mistake from Na'ila till this moment? Okay, so Rabbi Seltzer goes on to say, in our Torah portion, we learn the truth that no matter how blameless and upright we might feel in one instant, life has a way of challenging our unfounded notions of perfection and reminding us that we are works in a constant state of progress. Striking our chests during the Amidah, which follows Yom Kippur, and proclaiming yet again, forgive us, God, slach lanu avinu, is a ritual manifestation of this theology. I may be blameless now, but not for long and not forever. Okay, turn the page. So the Haf Torah this morning was from a few different, um, a few different prophets. It names them at the top here, Hosea, Yoel, and Micha. And depending on where you were and what you heard, you might have heard all three or in the sanctuary, we only heard two today. Um, but from here, we see this idea that God is not just recognizing that the people might need this for themselves, but that God actually is desiring that relationship with people, right? That it's not just, oh, you need to do a better job of repenting, of knowing you're going to make mistakes, etc., but that God wants to be part of that relationship with the people. So in Hosea, it says, Return, O Israel, to Adonai, our God, for you have fallen because of your sin. Now, the words in Hebrew are shuva Yisrael, shuva, from the word teshuva, right? Return, or if we're trying to connect it back to this idea of doing tshuva, right at the end of Yom Kippur, it could be tshuva, the kind of tshuva that we, that we call in English repentance, so return Israel to your God, right? So that this is the idea that God is hoping that we're going to return it to God, but that also erape meshuvatam, right? Shuv, again, this idea of returning. 
Ohavem Nedeva, I will hear their heal, excuse me, their affliction. Generously, I will take them back. I will return to them in love. Ki shav, again, returning, apimi menu. For my anger has turned, in this case, away from them. So there's a lot of turning, right? There's a lot of this returning back, needing that repetition. That's why I called this teaching again and again. Because Shabbat Shuva, you might think, should actually happen after Yom Kippur, Right, that if we're supposed to understand what it means to do tshuva, what it means to return to the version of ourselves or to the people who we need to repair a relationship with, you might think, oh, we need to be reminded of that actually after Yom Kippur, not in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We know we're going to sit in shul for 25 hours. We're going to do it again. Why do I need to be reminded the day before in this year's case? Why not be reminded at the end? What's being said here is that you are always needing to be reminded. We always need to remember that not only is this about our own returning, but that it's about also God wanting us to return. God wanting us to be part of that relationship. So what Rabbi Seltzer says is, like all relationships, this relationship takes work between us and God, requiring maintenance and careful attention to ritual. So here's a commentary on the word shuva, and then we're, we're going to sing a little thing, and then, and then we'll close. Ibn Ezra says, Shuva, me'at, me'at, ad Hashem. Now, if you were just hearing the Hebrew, you might think that that means little by little until God, right? But it could also mean to your name, right? Return little by little to your name. Return little by little to the name of the person that you need to return to, to repair that relationship with, or get rid of that relationship, right? Rabbi, uh, Dr. Rafum, not Rabbi, though she could be if she wanted, Dr. Rafum spoke really beautifully about tshuva not just being to repair something, but to sometimes also be able to say, this is what I need to get rid of in order to repair myself. So being able to return to yourself, to return to God, to return to those people, and that it needs to happen over and over and over again. May we return again and again to the moments that take holy work to be in relationship with God and with others and with ourselves. So I wanted us to finish out this Shabbat Shuva with this next piece. We all just said, Hashivenu Adonai Elecha Venashuva Chadesh Yamenu Kekedem. If you're interested in um, in some um, interpretation on the idea of Chadesh Yamenu Kikedim, you can listen to my sermon from last Yom Kippur. But this idea that, in fact, in order for us to renew our days, we actually have to look back to live those days so those days can be new. Not just that the days ahead of us are also new. But Rabbi Micah Shapiro wrote a beautiful tune for this, as some of you have probably heard us sing, and it's not in the plural, it's in the singular. Because there is something about not only returning to us or having God return to us, but also being able to return to ourselves. And this, for me, though I believe that Rabbi Seltzer's drash was beautiful, this, to me, I believe, is the reason that we do the Amidah with that paragraph at the end of Ne'ilah. Because so much of Yom Kippur, even though we're beating our own chests, 
So much of Yom Kippur is communal, right? We say Asham Nu, Bagad Nu. It's all about everybody doing it together. Some people say so that you're not embarrassed by the mistakes you've made. But in that moment of Slach Lanu, though it says Lanu, you're, you're saying it about yourself in a whisper. It's a whispered Amida. It's just about you, that you're able to now be the one to say sorry. So the words on the bottom that Rabbi Micah Shapiro kind of adapted from Hashivenu are Hashiveni ve'ashuva, return me and I will return. Chadeshi amenu kekedem, for only then can we make our days of old new. So it goes like this, and if you've heard it or if um, or if you just want to try to sing along, you can. Um, so we're just going to use those last two lines on the bottom. It goes like this. Hashiveni ve'ashuva again. Hashiveni Chadesh, Chadesh, Yameinu, Kekedem, Chadesh, Chadesh, Yameinu, Kekedem, was a Shabbat Shuvah that was meaningful, that allowed you to focus on what it means to be repenting, to be returning, to be renewing ourselves, but that also the last Amidah before you go into the world post-Naila, that you are able to recognize that we do it every day and that you can do it again and again as a way of returning to the best version of yourselves. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.